What's going on? Just goes to show listeners, it's your co-host Ridge. We're back with another episode. Yes, Jack, we are ready to dive in to all the action from last weekend and, uh, you know, talk out some interesting stuff in the news lately. So excited to be back. Yeah, we got all these midweek games. So we're hitting you with end of week pods. I was thinking about it, Chris. Should we do like a day regularly? Like, I don't know if our listeners... Maybe it would definitely it'd be better if we can, but it's gonna it's just hard <laughs> with schedules sometimes. Yeah, if you're, but so I think Thursdays actually are pretty good overall. Um, at yeah, because yeah. then we, we can preview the weekend pretty well and wrap up anything that might have carried over into the midweek. Yeah, I like that. So if you're listening, you have a day where you prefer your pod podcast content. Obviously, we say every week. Tweet it, tweet at us, message us, whatever you want to do. Let us know if there's like a day of the week that you're like, ah, this is a little in my week. Maybe we'll cater towards you. Um, but. Per, per usual, we're going to look back at what happened uh, this past weekend. Uh, we had a crazy weekend in the Premier League. It was the most goals in one game week in Premier League history. Um, so we're going to talk about that a little bit because that definitely deserves some discussion. How is that happening? Why is it happening? And what does that mean? Um, and then we're going to talk, obviously, there was a huge fixture this past weekend. I got to run to a Liverpool bar and watch it, so we'll get into that. Um, uh, you know, I'm not happy about it. but um, And then uh, we'll talk a little bit about what's going on at Crystal Palace um, and then some potential rule changes on the horizon for next season. I'm giving Chris trivia uh, and then we'll wrap up looking at the fixtures for the upcoming weekend. So Chris, why don't we uh, get some of your takes right off the rip here? Looking back at this past weekend, a lot of goals, a lot of good yeah, games. Yeah, so 45 goals, like we said, most in one uh, game week or match week in Premier League history, which is pretty insane, and I mean, it, when you look at the actual fixture list, it's not super surprising. Uh, there were only two teams shut out, West Ham and Sheffield United. We had Villa with five goals, Newcastle four, Luton four, Brighton four, Wolves four, a bunch of teams with three, multiple hat tricks. Um, I mean, it was it was a very fun weekend to watch matches as a neutral, and um, I mean, really, really chaotic overall. Some big results, too. Obviously, you mentioned the Arsenal-Liverpool match. Uh, City coming back from 1-0 down to win. Uh, Chelsea, poor defending. Luton, four goals again, which they've done recently. So, uh, I mean, as, as someone who loves watching the Premier League and is like is down to watch any game, it made the weekend really, really fun. Crazy for fantasy football as well. But, um, yeah, I mean, what, what do you think led to the onslaught of goals? I mean, it seems like it's been a trend this season. We had a lot of really high-scoring games all season, I would say, uh, and it all kind of culminated in this week with the record-setting one. Yeah, I think a couple of things are at play here. Um, that I think the, the biggest and most obvious one is just how much longer these games are. And we've talked about this a few times on the pod, but like you got more extra time in the first half, more extra time in the second half. Games are just longer, um, and so you got more time to for goals to happen. Um, so I think that's the biggest difference this season and why I think this record was bound to come either this season or in the near future. And I imagine that in the future, you'll actually see this record broken. So all the scoring kind of top goal scoring week, weeks will be from kind of this past rule change and onwards. Um, and then uh, another, a couple other things kind of in the mix. I think you got the backdrop of the Asian, Asian African Cup. So you got, you know, squads kind of teams getting a little bit deeper into their squad rotation, maybe not your first line defenders. It's also, you know, just past the midway point as we're sort of turning into the final third here soon of the season. Um, and so, and we had a, you know, a big, big break in, in January, uh, followed by kind of two quick successive game weeks um, to start in February. So I think the fact that, um, 
like that first round of fixtures uh, to start February was a little bit quieter, and then there was a lot of goals this past weekend makes sense because a lot of the, the coaches will prepare for that first game, um, and then they won't have a, as much time to prepare for the second game that they had, which was this past weekend gone. So um, I think just kind of a perfect storm, and it was awesome as a neutral. You love to see that, right? Like um, it, I think it's really good for, obviously, American fans who'd like to see goals, um, and if, if that's part of the reason why you tune in, it's it was really, really exciting. So you know, long may that continue. Um, and, and obviously there were some standouts, uh, some hat-tricks happening. Um, you know, we've given Adebayo from Luton some love for a Premier League hat-trick the other week. And then there were multiple this past week from Phil Foden and then Mateus Cunha, who probably isn't getting the love that he deserves for the kind of season that Gary O'Neill and the Wolves are having. Yeah, so just on Cunha really quick, uh, he's up to nine goals and six assists in the Prem this year. Uh, he, he came into Wolves on loan from Atletico Madrid in January of last year. It was a loan-to-buy situation. So this is his first full season with Wolves in the Premier League. 24 years old. He's been really, really good and underrated. I don't think he's someone that we've really mentioned at all in the pod so far this year. And even, like, looking at, you know, our fantasy teams in our league, I don't think he's owned by a single person. Uh, he's he's really, really good. I mean, it's, it's not a fluke that he's scoring goals. He's been a really consistent player in their side every week. Um, so it was nice to see him get on the, the score sheet in a big way and really start to stand out from the pack of some of those mid-table strikers. I think you could put him in the upper echelon of strikers outside the top six, maybe just overall in the league right now. Um, not like Wouldn't have been the first name that came to mind, but he's definitely starting to produce. Um, I was going to ask you, Jack, too, So because this is something that I was thinking about with the goals. I think the things you mentioned are really relevant, like the, um, you know, the extra time in the matches, those going a little bit longer, some squad rotation with the, the, the cups and things like that. Um, tactically, though, thinking about it from that perspective do you think that plays a role as well in some of the added goals because i'm thinking about teams like spurs or like villa that play with a really high line um they're very very aggressive in their attack and maybe susceptible to conceding goals at times and then also we didn't see it this week as much but last week we saw uh two teams give up goals on really really bad giveaways on their own end um just a lot more teams that are trying to play out from the back that might be mistake or prone to making some more mistakes on that front do you think the tactics of the current managers in the league or the way those are progressing overall in the premier league have had an impact on more goals as well yeah i think 100 percent. i think it's impossible to say otherwise you know you look at the bottom half of the you look at some of the bottom teams in the table right like burnley um i think burnley game finished against fulham 2-2 right and like Burnley aren't played really good football in the championship last season scored a lot of goals and that's sort of they're they're not playing five at the back trying to kind of you know dice ball like there aren't as many teams the Sam Allardyce is you know Sean Dyche is obviously alive and kicking but like those traditional kind of hey get rigid a couple boxes of two bo- you know two lines of four two banks of four um, or a bank of five and um, and make sure you don't concede that just seems to be like less and less less and less the infrastructure at a lot of clubs um really the only team who's kind of done that in in a lot this season is blades and they're obviously bottom of the table and table and just conceded five goals against villa um and then brentford oftentimes go up with five at the back but then they they actually prefer to play a 4-3-3 um when they don't feel like they're kind of mismatched um against a much stronger opponent so you know other than that like Everton, you've seen line up in sort of like a 4-4-1-1 this season. Burnley will play like um, a 4-3-3 um, 
or sort of a, a you know four four two even. Um, Palace are pretty much always lining up in a fourth four four, four two, um, and those are some of the more defensive kind of minded teams in the league. So um, yeah, you're just seeing a lot a lot less, and and I think part of this is because teams that we've talked about this through the lens of our own clubs through Crystal Palace and Aston Villa, but when things aren't going well, even if your team, you can see your team doing the right things or trying to score goals and trying to advance the ball and progress the ball, you can sort of fall back on that narrative, right? It's like, oh yeah, we lost. Like if you're, if you're, it's why no one's really really giving Vincent company that much shit this season, right? Like, oh, you got thumped Burnley, but oh, you can see kind of they're trying to play in triangles or you can see they're trying to pass it through the lines, right? They're not just like sitting back and hoofing the ball long because um, it feels like they're at least trying to impose their will on the game. And then managers can kind of tell that narrative, like, oh, we played well for 15 minutes or 10 minutes. You know, we were in the game and da-da-da-da-da. And there's at least some, like, positive feeling and sentiment from the fans. And so I think you're seeing that more and more. Part of that is maybe media influence, but I think you're just seeing that more and more with the way these clubs are set up. There aren't as many teams who are, like, happy. It's considered old-fashioned just to say, yeah, we're going to set up with two banks of four, hoof it long, Get a six foot five center forward and like a five foot f- five foot eight guy and try and score. You know, like yeah, aren't I think it's doing that. I think it might be a little bit media influence. I think it's a lot of fan influence as well because if the fans back the manager, that the leash is a lot longer. And you look at, um, you know, I think most fans would like if you're a Burnley supporter, you'd be much happier to draw two two against Fulham than no mill, right? Um, and I think. Like for we'll get into a little bit more with Roy Hodgson at Vill, or at uh, Palace, but when you play a, a more boring, old school style of football, the leash gets a little bit shorter because the fans will turn on you a lot quicker. So if at least you're putting up goals and making the the game attractive to watch, even if you're not getting all the results, people can say, "Oh well, we're doing this well," or I'm at least enjoying and entertained by the football that I'm watching. So. I do think that plays into it. That's a, that's a really good point. Yeah, and I think so. I guess we can just jump into that now, and then we can circle back to our other topic, Chris. But I okay. think like yeah. if you if you look at if you look at Luton as an example, right? Like Luton, sort of a couple games into the season, we're like, okay, shit, we're getting thumped. Everyone's beating us. Rob Edwards is like, all right, guys, sitting back and soaking up pressure. Teams are just you know we're getting clobbered. We're gonna lose a bunch of games. Why don't we just go down fighting, right? Like um, they're now playing like. A four-three-three um, formation, or like a three-five, uh, a three-five-two in some ways with wingbacks, and like their wingbacks, Alfie Dowdy's getting really far up the pitch. Um, they're putting a lot of men in the box on on set pieces. They're hoofing, you know, uh, trying to hit a lot of teams in transition, and they scored a lot of goals. I mean, that four-four game against Newcastle this past week uh, weekend was a thriller, right? Luton Newcastle, a four-four thriller. Um, who'd have thunk it, you know? So. Uh, like and if you're a Luton fan, it's kind of like if you go down, yeah, that sucks, right? Obviously, but like you're they're gonna remember the season forever, right? Like yeah, I mean, there's if there's one thing you're gonna say about Luton is they are absolutely going for it every time they step on the pitch. Like they're they're not they're not playing conservatively. They are going out trying to win, trying to score, which you have to respect when they're gonna be outmatched on paper by basically every team in the league. Uh, but yeah, they're 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 gonna go out and put up a fight against anybody and try to score and put pressure on teams. Yeah, and I think, I don't know, maybe it stems from a larger sort of, uh, you know, I think, yeah, it's media influence. Maybe it stems from the larger, larger, like, ideology behind it, right? Like, why does sport exist? To be entertained, to be inspired, to, like, support something bigger than yourself. And it's just harder to get behind that, even when your team's winning, but they're doing it in a way that, like, 
doesn't it feels like they're kind of cheating their way there and then the game is set up more and more to punish those types of teams right um but you that might have been you might have been able to do that 20 years ago you sure as shit can't do that you can't time waste now right like um you can't get a one nil lead and just sit on it and kick the ball out i mean of course there are dark arts but like the game has progressed so much I mean, you think about 50 years ago, there was the back pass rule, right? So teams would go up one nothing, pass back to their goalie, and then just pick it up and hold it for, you know, uh, for, for a second. So all these rules, as, as the game of football progresses, it, it lends itself more to teams that are going to try and impose, you know, have the ball on the ground, passing moves, end-to-end stuff, and it's set up that way. And so you see a lot of teams and fans set up that way. And that's, I think, what's so, what Palace fans are so frustrated with at Crystal Palace is because, um, you know, there's all these banners where they're, they're going to the games and they're holding up these banners saying there's no strategy uh, at the club. And it, it does, it feels very rudderless when you have Hodgson because, you know, he's not going to be at the club for years. He's not, he's not kind of putting us, he's just there for stability, right? And so if he's not providing that stability in terms of mid-table mediocrity and results, What's he there for, right? He's not bringing young players into the first team. He's not imposing and attract coaching young players in a tactical uh, for an attra- uh, for an attractive tactical style or philosophy that five years in the down the road these players will will retain, right? Um, and so you're kind of thinking like, well, if he's not getting those results in the short term, why why is he here? Right, and and I think that's kind of how Palace fans feel, and that's why I think it's so, you know, it's so apparent that they want him out of the club. I mean, it's just a case of if you're not moving forward, then you're move, you're falling back, and in a league that's competitive as this one, that I think that's there's a lot of true uh, sentiment in that statement. Like, it, it is it's a it was a weird decision at the time. It's basically just saying. We don't really have our guy right now that we want. We think that Hodgson will keep us in the league, which has pretty much been our goal for a decade now. And, um, you know, I think fans are going to get frustrated with that naturally. And it's tough, too, that Roy is as old as he is because that makes it look even worse, I think, um, that he's not really adapting them tactically. Um, And I think the biggest thing, at least for me as someone who supports Palace, the way that he's treated the young players at the club is pretty shocking. Uh, he has frequently called them out in press conferences, and he hasn't really given any of them much of an opportunity. They, they signed uh, Mateus França uh, over the summer, f- a Brazilian wonder kid, and he, is ne- he hasn't made any Premier League starts. He comes on for maybe 10 minutes at a time, and uh, you know Hodgson's kind of thrown him and Ahamada and some of these younger players under the bus at end of games saying, oh, well, like, what was it a couple of weeks ago? Um, I think it was against Arsenal. They were down 3-0 or 2-0, and then they, he brought on some youngsters in like the 70-something minute, and they conceded two more at the end. Then he's like, oh, well, the youngsters shouldn't have put them out in that situation. They weren't up to it. It's like, dude, you're getting your ass kicked before that. Like, what is the benefit of you calling out your young players and discouraging them at this early stage in their, their career when you're really not even giving them much of an opportunity uh, to get Premier League experience as it is? So he's just... He's passed it, but now Palace are in a really tough spot because they've they've waited this long, and there's really no one on the horizon that's willing to take the position over. They've they've had talks with Steve Cooper reportedly, uh, Julian Lopetegui. Um, I think there was another name as well, and it seems like none of those guys are willing to take over this late in the season, which I understand. So it seems like they might just be stuck with him 
um, unless they decide to just like say, Patty McCarthy, you're going to take over for the rest of the season, which I don't really know if that would make much of an impact anyway. Um, so they're, they're in a really bad spot. And I know you were extremely frustrated with, with this over the weekend that they're down 3 0 at the half. They bring on Michael Olise, who has been nursing a hamstring injury at halftime and, you know, down three goals. He comes on for 11 minutes, gets hurt. Sounds like he might be out for like another two months now. Um, as they, they probably rushed back a little bit too quick from his injury. He's out for a couple of matches. Mark Gay's out. So things are just getting worse and worse. And I mean, they're, they're at a point now where they could easily be drawn back into a relegation fight. They're in 14th on 24 points. They're five points clear right now, uh, but not playing well at all. So it's, it's very, very rough times at the club. Yeah, I think circling back to what you were saying earlier, it's like if you're not advancing, you're regressing. I, I, yes, I agree with that. Definitely, I think you, when, but when I think about the appointment of Hodgson, it's like that's what's so frustrating. If you're a Palace fan, it's like he was never going to advance us anywhere. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. So it's like, okay, I guess at best you're hoping for, you know, it's like it's like if you're you know you're betting and you're just like hoping to break even. Right, and that's um, and that's why I think that the Palace fans are bringing banners to the matches, wanting Parish to sell the club and things like that. I think their their main issue is that what was the vision in the first place of this appointment? You know, like what was the best right. case scenario here? We finished twelfth with Hodgson, and then we reset reset next season anyway. Like I, there was really no long term vision at all with that appointment. Yeah, and I think what this stems from is some of the friction outside of you know the the pressures outside of the actual football itself that. Palace are dealing with, which is like they, they've been trying to expand their stadium for years and they have all these permit issues and, and approval and negotiating a deal with Sainsbury's to buy the grocery store like kind of like next to their ground. And so there's all these kind of white tape things outside of football that, you know, then is like the longer that happens, the longer it takes to get cash, the longer that takes, the longer it takes to get cash flow into the club, right? You can't expand your stadium. You can't expand your revenue streams. So... Um, then, so Parrish is now like, okay, well, you know, and then he's, he starts looking at the uh, managerial appointment with Hodgson, which is clearly what he did here and just said, okay, well, let me appoint Hodgson. He'll give, he'll buy me another year. He'll, he won't get us relegated, but he won't take us to Europe. Right. Um, he'll buy, buy me another year. And then I've now got another year to kind of negotiate and try and try and get our stadium expansion going to, to grow revenue. And so I understand that it's, you know, there, there's a business side of it that we're not privy to, um, where you know, I, I hope Crystal Palace are trying to grow revenue at the same time, and that that's not an instant thing unless you have, you know, crazy sponsorship connections, or you know, you have, you know, or, or you know, you have an academy player come up that's all of a sudden worth a hundred million that you can sell. Like a lot of Aston Villa's progression stems on the back of their Grealish sale, um, and then being able to uh, you know balance their books in a really really positive way. So. You know, I, I but it is just hard to it's just hard to watch every weekend. Like, and then I think the frustrate at least my stance all season with Palace is is I've tried not to get frustrated because or too invested because you know the writing was on the wall. <laughs> it was really obvious in the summer. I think I told all you know you and, and anyone else who would listen really like this is where they're going to find themselves. And so, you know, I'm still trying not to get too overly invested. I'm just trying to like disassociate uh, mentally as much as possible because it sucks. Yes, it's another year of hoping they stay up, which is what they've been dealing with for a long time. So um, let's talk briefly about the match of last weekend, Arsenal 3, Liverpool 1. Really a, a pretty dominant performance from Arsenal I mean, at home, but Liverpool were very, very hot coming into this match. Arsenal really took it to them, uh, especially in the first half. 
and uh, they gave up a really bad goal in added time of the first half, and it, w- it went in 1-1. It felt like Liverpool still had a chance, and Arsenal come out strong and, and finished the game 3-1. I think the biggest thing that I took away from this one is that I think, uh, as much as I don't like him, I think Arteta really outcoached Klopp uh, tactically. A lot of their game plan seemed like we're going to get the ball out on the left wing to Martinelli and just have him go at Trent Alexander-Arnold. That's the weak link in their defense. We know that Martinelli can take advantage of that. Um, I, they said during the match that Martinelli has scored more goals against Liverpool than any other club in the Premier League. Wow. And, uh, I mean, it, it showed. He, that was really what they did a lot. Saka, he scored in the first half, but overall he was pretty quiet. And Martinelli really took advantage of Trent down that left wing. Um, it, was a, it was a really, really good performance. I think it was a statement from Arsenal. They're back in the title race. Uh, we have at least three teams that are probably going to be pretty competitive for the rest of the season here. What were your takeaways from this one? Yeah, I... I mean, so Chris and I, and we both talked a bunch about the title race and sort of in the last couple of pods. So we were talking and we were like, we don't want to get too much into the weeds because, you know, we've talked about these teams a lot lately. Um, but I, I do think, listen, statement win. Our Arsenal plays the top teams well. And our, I, I think where they sometimes struggle is, um, you know, against some of the kind of middle... Uh, bottom half of the t- t- table teams, um, finding just the consistency. They just haven't been at the same level as Liverpool and, and City have for a long, long time. Um, their ro- their squad is now deeper, of course, but Arteta's still um, you know younger, and Arteta hasn't had as much time with all these teams. Like Man City have been doing this for a, de- you know, a decade now, um, beating up on everybody at the bottom and then winning the close games. So, um, yeah, I thought Arsenal was imp- were impressive. Um, and and it, I mean, what a great game as a neutral because moving forward now, you know the the top of the table very very tight big win for Villa of course against Blades because now Villa are two points up on Spurs and so we talked about this on the pod a couple a while ago like where do we think these top teams are going to finish and it looks like it's it could be a three-way title race between Arsenal City and Liverpool and then that fourth spot kind of being vied for between Villa Spurs Villa and Spurs unless you know Manchester United or somebody else make a big run yeah, United are still in the mix, but it does seem like Villa and Spurs are going to be those two teams. There's also a, a possibility that five, the top five teams qualify for the Champions League this season from the Prem. Uh, so staying in that top five is really, really important. But I have to put my hand up and say that I was wrong about Arsenal. I've talked a lot of smack. I don't like Arteta. I don't, I don't support Arsenal. I don't like Liverpool or City really either, but Arsenal just grinds my gears. But they, they came out and there was a huge win. I do think they're going to stick around in the mix. Uh, and uh, yeah, they, I mean, they absolutely deserved that win. Three one was a, a wow. very, it was a, it was a good score for that match. The way it played out, I was pretty surprised with how how rough Liverpool looked. Uh, yeah, and the one gotta... goal they conceded was horrible between Allison and Van Dyke. Uh, Allison had a really bad game, um, and so yeah. did Van Dyke, which you don't really expect to see from those two guys. But um, I, I still think getting Salah back will be huge for them. Um, and, you know, Spurs, too, they're going to be getting Sun back. So some of these players coming back from AFCON in the Asian Cup is going to be really, really important for this title race and the top four race, too. Yeah, quick plug to your fantasy teams out there for any of those guys that were, were um, out at Asian Europe. But, yeah, Chris, we got to let Arteta know. I think he's been craving that compliment from you for a while. So we're gonna, we'll have to tweet at him and let him know that, uh, that, that, <laughs> that you, you held your hand up and said that. Yeah, I'm sure uh, I'm sure I'll have some really kind and reasonable words for me about that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. 
Um, well, how about how about the rule changes, Chris? So the news was announced today. Um, there's some FA Cup fixtures in England. Uh, we won't talk about Villa's loss to Chelsea because um, they don't have the squad depth to really compete on all on all the fronts that they were still in. But um, there was some news that there's going to be blue cards, sindins, aka penalty boxes, in next season. Um, what's on the horizon, Chris? What was announced, and what's your take? Yeah, so it's still a little bit of speculation. Um, nothing is officially announced for next season, but it, it, they're talking about potentially implementing these rules for the FA Cup. Uh, it won't be in like the European Championship, and it definitely won't be in the Premier League for next year, but something they've been trialing and grassroots levels for a while now. So the gist of it is uh, adding blue cards to the mix along with the yellow and red, and a blue card would be something in between those two levels. So... Um, basically a higher punishment than a yellow, less than a red. And if you get a blue card, you would spend 10 minutes in, and this is everything I read, they called it the sin bin, which is really funny because that's very much a hockey term. Um, but essentially a penalty box type situation where if you get a blue card, you'll be off the pitch for 10 minutes. Um, the other thing would be two blues would equal a red card and one blue and one yellow would also be a red card. And the blues, it sounds like they're, the main idea was that they'd be used for dissents and tactical fouls. So breaking up a you know like a counter or something like that, jersey tugs, intentionally bringing guys down to break up play. And then dissent, which has been a huge issue um, and, and something they've been cracking down on. So I think this is a really interesting idea. I've seen a couple of pundits and uh, Gareth Southgate also weighed in. So Paul Merson was basically saying that uh, a, you know, a 10-minute sin bin would ruin the game shocker that Paul Merson has a, a hot take but uh, his idea was that if you have a player go into this penalty box you're just going to pack it in for 10 minutes and try to slow down the game get free kicks waste time and play behind the ball um, I don't know I think it's interesting if they're really trying to eliminate dissent and tactical fouls which I, I mean I think tactical fouls have a place in the game but I, I do think as well that the punishment would be interesting for a tactical foul because you are breaking up a potentially really good goal scoring chance. Um, this is a this is an interesting idea. I'm I'm not totally opposed to it. I'm not like a huge fan of big rule changes, but the thing is about like if we think about a penalty in hockey where it goes five on four, that doesn't ruin the game at all. And those teams do pack it in. It's actually really really fascinating. Like the power plays are maybe the most exciting parts of the game. And you just have to switch your tactics on the fly. But, you know, I, I don't think like 10 minutes of uh, a match being down a man is going to kill the game in any way. I, I do agree that we would probably pack, pack people in. Um, but I don't think it would necessarily be like a, a bad product on the entertainment scale. And then Gareth Southgate, what he was saying was if dissent's that big of an issue or if tactical fouls are that big of an issue, whatever it is, just start sending players off more, which... I think is maybe a little bit aggressive. I, I don't know. I, I think it's a really harsh penalty if you're going to send someone off for a tactical foul for an entire game. I think 10 minutes is probably more fair for that. But uh, you're a little bit more of a purist. What do you think about the whole situation? Yeah, it's funny. Um, the, so I think initially when you hear this, like, oh, blue cards and sin bins, you're kind of like, I mean, at least me, I'm like, what the hell? You know, like, I, I don't love that. The, the more I think about it, Chris, the more... I like parts of it, okay? And the more I think parts of it make sense. Here's, here's, here's the starter. I, I think tactical fouls are something that are a part of this game, and I think yellow cards are too light of a punishment 
right? Especially with five substitutions, right? When your players commits a tactical foul, well, I have five guys off the bench I can just put in the same spot who can do the same thing 20 minutes later, right? And tactical fouls are a big part of this game. Some of these, some of these top teams, like when a counterattacking chance starts, they'll intentionally foul, right? The, the, one of the uh, counterattacking players, just to break up the attack because they'll take that yellow card knowing that there's a probably a goal scoring chance at the end of it, right? And I think sending off is too harsh, absolutely. I, I understand Southgate's logic, but ascending off is too harsh, right? Because then that player faces game suspensions in the Premier League or, or anywhere in England or any, any league, they put face suspensions after that. So it's like, what are you gonna do? Give a guy straight red for lightly tugging a player back, straight red, then he's out for that game and the next two, right? For three games for a tactical foul. It's like, that's, you know, that's silly. And Southgate's argument will be like, well, that will eliminate the tactical foul. But the problem is, is like, it's part of the game at this point, right? It's it's part of the game. And also, like, if a player wants to do it, I think if the sin bin, a 10-minute sin bin is introduced, it'll introduce, it'll bring a whole new element to the game. And I kind of think that's exciting, right? Like, I agree with Paul Merson's take that teams will pack it in 100%, but it's not like the the team that's being beaten or the team that's kind of the underdog is going to be the one taking the fouls all the time. Like, let's say Lutner playing Manchester City. Uh, Nathan Ake pulls a guy back, a tactical foul, right? Which happens all the time with these possession-based, high-up-the-field teams. Luton get on a fast break. Nathan Ake pulls, you know, Chinadu Ogbene down. And this now just gets a yellow card. Luton hoof a ball into the box. City clear it. Boom, done. Instead, he goes to the sin bin for 10 minutes. All of a sudden, Luton have a man advantage against Manchester City, right? And just for 10 minutes where all of a sudden, like, the paradigm of the, the you know, the ebb and flow of the game totally changes, right? Um, the power play, and, and I think a lot about hockey and maybe some of my hockey experiences and biases coming through here, but power plays and penalty kills in hockey are fascinating, you they're electric. They're, they're electric. They're where more goals are scored. Um, you also have like specialists that are power play specialists. Teams get coaches um, that are power play coaches or penalty kill coaches. You get specialists and players that you'll sub on or kind of play if they're really good on the penalty kill or really good on the power play. And that could introduce a whole nother element of sort of players that, you know, uh, uh, one thing that I hear a lot in football. I don't want to continue. I, there's a lot of things I think you can go uh, spinoffs here and tangents you can go. But one thing I hear a lot in football these days is like there's no pure number tens in the game anymore. Like the days of Mezu Ozil and those like passers high up the pitch who can like unlock a cover play are gone. Instead, everybody is a number eight. They're a box to box, incredibly in shape, fit midfielder, and you know they're eliminating kind of the guys with flair and touch because the game moves so much faster, right? Well, all of a sudden those guys with flair and touch become really important if you know your team has two power plays, right, in a game or has a 10 minute power play in a game, that guy becomes valuable all of a sudden. Maybe you bring him off the bench um, and maybe then you sub him out afterwards. I don't know. I, all, all I think is, I think it's, I, I, I understand the purest element wanting to protect the game and there's nothing wrong with it. Yes, there, there's absolutely nothing wrong with the game, right? But I do think like, we just talked about if you're not moving forward, you're moving backwards, right? And so I do think like this would make games more exciting. It would bring more goals. Um, and I don't think it would harm the game at all. And the game has changed and it's constantly changing. There's been rule changes like we talked about with timekeeping and, you know, the intentional passback. Like rule changes happen, right? Like, you know, it's sort of like a, bo you know, like a boomer silly, you know, old man on the porch take to be like, the game is the same as I used to, you know, it should always be the same as I used to play it. Like, 
that's never been the case in human history. The game's always changed, right? So like, I don't understand. I understand the, I think just think the apprehension or the desire to not change it is just for the sake of not changing it, not actually because it wouldn't drive a better product, you know? Agreed. And I, I two other quick things. So like, if we're talking about dissent, nobody likes it. There's way too much dissent going on right now. Everyone I argues agree. with the ref about every single call. If you can do something to deter that a little bit further, I'm all for it. And then the thing about if we do it for tactical fouls, that is awesome because right now there's such a reflex for a lot of players to just bring a guy down, pull a shirt, whatever, and just say, I'm going to take that yellow, whatever. I'll, I'll deal with it. If we, if you have to like on the fly make the decision, is it worth it to bring this guy down to have 10 men on the pitch for 10 minutes? That is, I mean, we're, we talked about goals, right? Like this would lead to more goals, which is always fun. Every sport is basically altering the rules. Football, basketball, they make rule changes every year to benefit the offense because they know that fans like seeing points and goals and whatever. And, uh, I mean, I think this would be really cool. I, I'm not necessarily saying that, like, I'm 100% in. I, I'd have to see it a little bit. But if I think if you test it at the FA Cup, that seems like a pretty good idea to me. And I think there's a lot, a lot of positives with this. You talk about, like, hockey, too. The the power plays and, like, penalty kills are the, like, in terms of an atmosphere, if you're going to a game, are the best parts of the game, too. Like, if you're the home team and you're down a man, every time you clear that ball, people are going nuts, right? Mm -hmm. It's more of, like, a, a battle of willpower to just say, hey, we're, we're down a man here. We might get tired. We might get a little bit um, scrappy or, um, you know, like, we're going to be booting the ball a bit, but... It takes time. Like that, that's a, a, a like a tactic to combat being down a man, and there's some merit to doing that and holding off a team for a certain amount of time when you're down a man. So, mm -hmm. I think it would make things really, really fun. Um, well, who knows if it'll ac actually happen? But it does seem like this is a very serious proposal. So I wouldn't be shocked if it gets implemented at some point in the next couple of years. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I yeah, I overall I think it sounds like we're both. We both like the idea of it. It obviously in the the rollout and in, like anything, it'll have to be executed well, and um, I'm sure there'll be iterations and changes. But yeah, I mean, I think if it's going to remove the dissent and it's going to remove the tactical fouls, especially which are think parts of the game right now that break the game up, um, like there should be a harsher punishment. If there's a three on one and you're at the halfway line, um, you know you're at the middle of the pitch and there's you, the team other teams breaking on a counter, Rodri pulls you down. Um, he just gets a yellow, and he's like, okay, cool. He just knows to play the rest of the game on that yellow card. Um, and, you know, the other team probably would have scored or would have had a really good chance to score. And and there should be a harsher punishment for that, in my opinion, when you're intentionally when you're intentionally following the opponent. Um, and just to be honest, not many players are sent off, right, for doing two of those in a game, right? They're smart enough to not do it again. Um so I, I'd love to see that removed from the game, and I think there's a space here for one of those in, in median punishments, whether it's a, you know that blue card sin bin or whatever. But um, yeah, we'll see. It's exciting. I bet you didn't think I'd before that, eh, Chris? Uh, no, but the hockey part of you makes it seem like there's a little bit higher of a probability because it is very much related to a hockey rule. So that, that part I thought might win you over a little bit, but I, I think it's a really, really interesting discussion. Um, yeah. Kind of and, a, a and, fascinating and I, idea. And yeah, and like, I understand the take where it's like, the game's great, don't change it, you know? Like, for sure. Like, the game is great. I'm not saying it's great and it's broken and needs changing by any means. But like, um, I think that is a part of the game that kind of stinks. And, um, and 
you know, if, if it would bring more goals and how electric would it be if, again, you're, I use that Luton City analogy, if you're a Luton fan, your team goes up for 10 minutes, right? Or you're watching it on TV and Luton gets a power play or whatever they want to call it. And you're like, oh my God, like these next 10 minutes or these next five minutes, like this is electric. Like, the, you know, you lean forward in your chair and like there are parts of the game right now where it's so cagey. You know, in, in a lot of games to finish 1-0, 2-0, you know, 2-1, parts of games that are pretty cagey throughout, you know. So um, how can you unlock some of, uh, you know, uh, unlock some more goals in some of those cagey affairs? I think this is a way. Agreed. And, and like, last thing I'll say is, like, uh, the yellow cards for diving. That got implemented a few years ago. Works pretty well, actually. We do see guys yeah. get carded for diving, and there are less dives, like, no doubt about it. So little rule changes like this, I think they do have the desired impact a lot of the time. So I think there's a way to to uh, minimize some of the things that are pet peeves of fans or opposition, like little things that guys do that are... Because really, like, a tactical foul uh, is kind of like cheating the rule book in a way. So let's, let's button up the rule book and make it uh, a more accurate punishment that fits the crime, right? So I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of into it, but uh, you ready to move on to trivia here? Yeah, let's do it. So I'm, I'm delivering trivia to Chris this week. Um, so Chris, this took some research, uh, and it really hurt my brain. Um, and I was, I was like stalling when we were about to record because uh, it took me so long to find all these answers. But we're going to change from an individual player theme. We're going to go to teams for this week, okay? Um, so the, the, the trivia question is around teams. And... I, 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 for time, I'm going to give you two minutes because I'm looking for a lot. Okay. Um, so it's, it, you can just kind of shout names out. Um, maybe I'll give you like 90 seconds to two minutes, depending on how I'm feeling. I usually stretch it out anyway for you. Um, and I've got basically what your, your question is, is I've got the, all the relegated teams in the last eight seasons. So there's 24 relegations that have happened in the last eight years. There are four teams that have had multiple um, multiple relegations. Okay, so um, I'm looking for you to name as many of those teams who have been relegated as possible, and all of them have been in the last eight years. Okay. Okay. If Ready? I repeat one, forgive me. <laughs> oh, that's okay. Ready, set, go. All right, Southampton, Leeds, Burnley, Aston All Villa. Three are correct. Correct. Four. Sheffield United. Correct. Derby. Incorrect. Okay. West Brom. Uh, correct. That was two. Um. All right. So let's think more. Uh, West Ham. No. Really? I thought they okay. I thought they were down one year. Um, that must have been ten years ago. I was thinking I went to their match. Okay. Uh, let's see. A lot of teams that probably didn't come back up. Um, Nottingham Forest, no. Luton, no. Uh, Fulham. Yes, they've been twice relegated. Bournemouth. Yes. Wolves. No. Really? Okay. Uh, Brighton. No. Newcastle? Yes. Okay. Um, what other championship teams? I think I got all the Premier League teams. Um, oh, um, Sunderland? Yes. Okay. Um, let's think. Uh, yeah, one more minute. 
Okay, one more minute. Cool. Uh, Watford. Yes, that twice they've been relegated. Stoke. Yes. QPR. No. Norwich. Yes, they're the most three times. Um. Swansea. Yes. Well done. Cardiff. You got. Yep. Well done. Hull. Yep. Well done. Uh, um, yeah, 15 seconds. Lester. I didn't say Lester. Yep. Well done. Uh, Middlesbrough. Yep. Oh my God. Um. Oh. Oh. Huddersfield. Yes. That's it. I got all of them. That's it. On time. You got all of them. Oh my God. Wow. wow. That's this is a trivia first. Wow. I mean, if there's one thing I know, it's we know the EFL like pyramid pretty well because of our football manager days. And I've, I've managed a lot down in League One and the championship and stuff. So, I mean, the one thing about that's nice about that trivia is I could just rifle names off because I, I know all the clubs, but I figured I would be missing one. Um, I didn't seem like I named 19. Yes. Yeah. You, yeah, you did. So you named. Um, so I'll, I'll kind of I'll just go in in um, in list of of most recently relegated to oldest. So this past season was Leicester, Leeds, Southampton. Yeah, Leeds and Southampton straight away. Um, before then, you had uh, Burnley, Watford, Norwich. Um, and Watford had been relegated twice in the last eight years and Norwich three times. They're the most relegated. Um, the year before that, 2020, 2020 2021 was Fulham, West Brom, Blades. West Brom had been up uh, relegated twice. Um, and then you got Bournemouth, Watford, Norwich, so Norwich again and Watford again. Um, then Cardiff in 2018-2019, Cardiff, Fulham, Huddersfield Town, relegated 2017-18, Swansea, Stoke, West Brom. 2016-17, um, you have Sunderland, Middlesbrough, Hull. And then 2015-2016, which was a bonkers year because that's the year Leicester won the title. Um, Newcastle, Villa, and Norwich all went down, um, which is absolutely insane. So Leicester won the title. Two Giants went down from the Premier League that season, and Burnley, Middlesbrough, and Hull all came up that season. Yeah, I mean, obviously I knew Villa, and Newcastle, I remembered them going down. I just wasn't sure if it was in the last, whatever, eight years or whatever. I did name a few that didn't go down. So, like, Brighton, I, I thought that was right. Um, but I realized once they've gone up, they haven't gone down. Similar to Palace. Uh, Wolves, I yeah. thought, definitely had. That one surprised me. Yeah, so you – you some of the teams the, – really the only teams that you guessed that you didn't get right were the ones that have been promoted in the last eight years but not relegated. Um, right. And then West Ham, so, which I think West Ham, the reason why I said that is I remember we went to see West Ham against Palace when we went to England and they were in the championship, but that was like 13 years ago. So that was a stupid guess. Yeah. West Ham were relegated in 2010, 2011. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think they won then, the league that first year and went right back up. Yeah. So. Yeah. Q, QPR was 2012, 2013. So. Oh, I said them too. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's another one you said. And Wolves, Wolves was 2011, 2012. So those teams kind of all around then. You were just kind of a little bit further than eight years ago. That was fun. I I definitely didn't expect to get all of them. But when you told me what it was, I was like, I should be able to get all these teams. Like, if I wasn't going to get one, it was just because I blanked on something. Like, Cardiff was one that I probably wouldn't have gotten. But I remember it's Swansea. And I was like, all right, other Welsh team. Cardiff, we're definitely in the Prem. So, And then I just remembered Huddersfield had the disastrous season with David Wagner as manager. So that was another one that I, I was kind of surprised I pulled. But the other ones were 
not that hard. I mean, it's a lot of yo-yo clubs like Norwich and West Brom and Fulham and, you know. Yeah, good call with Sunderland. Uh, uh, yeah, there. yeah. Well, double relegation, so. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, anyway, that's I think that's a that's a just goes to show first we or and maybe not the first, but like maybe that was the most impressive in terms of number of guesses. Uh, I think we might have gotten everything from trivia before once upon a time. Um, for our avid listeners back there, let us know if that matches up to. It's been it. a while if we have. It's definitely been a while been if that's one. been done before. Yeah, yeah so that was fun. It's like fifty. Usually it's like fifty percent, and then we call it. Yeah, I think mean, two minutes was generous too, but it was a lot of names. So. Anyway, that was fun. I appreciate you going into all that. It was a uh, that was that was a fun list. So, not fun for the teams that got relegated, but fun for me. So, <laughs> all right, uh, let's get into some of these weekend fixtures. So we got three of them, like always, that we're gonna predict and uh, highlight real quick. One from Saturday, two from Sunday. First one Saturday, we have Spurs at home against Brighton, ten o'clock Eastern. What are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I guess quick plug before we go off and oh, sure. predictions. All weekend, I get people texting me, asking me for like betting advice, like who should they pick, what teams are good, da da da. Every weekend, like and and there's like a series of you know friends and degenerate gamblers that I know who are asking me for this stuff all weekend. Like if you've been mindlessly listening to the pod the rest of this episode, now's the time you tune in. Now's the time you listen. Um, 45 minute mark. Um, listen in. So. Um, Weekend, uh, weekend fixtures, Spurs, Brighton. Who do I think is going to win this one? I think Spurs are going to win. Um, I think there's goals in this game for sure. Um, I'd like, and Sun's back in the side. And so I think Sun's going to kind of come back storming and just going to, I think, plunge him straight into this the starting 11. Um, I use the word plunge there effectively. I think 3-2 Spurs. I like a goal fest. Wait, you think so? Sun's gonna be back for this? Yeah, I saw they lost the um, the Asian Cup is insane. By the way, with what happened, <laughs> the fact that you're like, yeah, I think it's gonna be South Korea and uh, and Japan, Japan, and then they both lost like right after that to really bad teams. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Well, we're not. We're, we don't make predictions about the Asian Cup. We make predictions about the Prem. Yeah, and Afcon maybe, but okay. So, what'd you say the final score? Three, two, Spurs. I like that because I, I agree. There will be goals in this game. I do think both teams score. Um, actually, 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 I'm, I'm backing out. I'm backing out. Wow. Just because I looked. I, I'm going 2-2. Sorry, sorry, sorry. 2-2. Okay. Well, I was going to say 2-2 after you said 3-2. No. Not, not kidding. But I'm going to go 3-2 now. I'll take yours. Wow. Gut instinct. I was like 2-2 is what I like here. But I'm going to go 3-2 Spurs. And that's going to be right. It's... So if you're looking for a bet after Jack backed out on that, I think that's that's the pick there. Yes. I like Spurs money line and over three and a half goals or two and a half goals, whatever whatever the odds you like are. But all right, and then how about the next one? We got West Ham Arsenal. Chris, what do you think? Sunday nine a.m. Arsenal are going to be coming off riding high uh, from their win. West Ham are in seventh place. We really haven't talked about them much. Um, they have Mohamed Kudus back. Uh, he played last match as well. They got battered by United, but. That game, the XG was actually really close. And I think West Ham have started to turn a little bit of a corner this season. They got off to a rocky start. David Moyes has got them under control. Um, I'm going to go 2-1 Arsenal still. This feels like one of those games where West Ham hang around and it's like we get like a Declan Rice 91st minute winner or something and Arsenal 
sneaks away with three points. So they do that against the, the bad teams a lot where it's really tight and they like break away at the end and win by a goal. I think that's one of those games. I, yeah, again, I said earlier, I think Arsenal struggle against sides like West Ham. I think these are kind of like, they really get up for the big games, but I think they're, they just had that game against Liverpool. I sort of like West Ham to sneak one out here in, uh, in sneaky, sneaky West Ham fashion. I might go. One nil, West Ham. Wow. Okay. All right. I don't. I don't feel good about that at all. But I'm gonna do that. That'd be a big win for them. Uh, that would be a big impact on the title race. Our third match. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. I was just gonna I say. Some. I just feel like Arsenal after that win against Liverpool. It's like. I don't know. Like, this is just what they did last season. Like, you know, the, the ups and downs. And I think our, it sort of stems from, stems from Arteta. So I'm going to stick by my guns. I'm going to say 1-0 West Ham. So you heard it here okay. first. All right. I, I don't hate it. Our last match we have on the docket is Sunday at 1130, Villa home against United. Big, big implications for their uh, Champions League football here. Yeah. And Villa are have not looked good this calendar year. I'm just going to say it. I'm not. I'm not happy. I'm not impressed. And nor and Manchester United is such a plucky little team where Ten Hag has them play just really good man to man defensively, kind of across the midfield. And that's just it's teeing up for Villa to be countered. And I don't like that um, at all. So? I, so I think, so if my honest answer is I think United's going to win. Um, I think so too. Because Villa, when when they have when Villa, and I've said this all season, when Villa needs to play through teams, um, they they can't do they they can do it against some of the, the bottom teams, but they just struggle to break things break teams down sometimes. And when they have Manchester United, it's going to be happy to give them a majority of possession. I think if Paul Torres is back, let me put a disclaimer in my my pick here. Paul Torres is back and starting. I think Villa win two one. If Paul Torres isn't back and starting. You, I'll go United win 2-1. Okay. Yeah, Pau Torres is a big deal because right now Esri Kans is hurt too. Uh, we've wa- I watched, and I think you did as well, their uh, FA Cup match against Chelsea was really, really ugly. Uh, they just had that loss against Newcastle two matches ago in the Prem that was really ugly. United have scored 13 goals in their last five matches. Uh, they got the gates really, really slow on the offensive foot and are starting to pour in goals. I think they're going to continue this. They're at home. I'm going to say United 3-1, as much as it pains me to say. But they they also need this. They are eight points back of Villa right now, and they're in six. So if Villa win this game, uh, it's going to be really challenging for United to get into the top four. They'll be you know 11 points back. So they really need this one. They're at home. I'm going to say they do it, but I, I don't like it. I'm pulling for the, the boys in blue, Claret and blue, that is. So we'll see. The boys in blue, the Claret in blue. Um, all right, well, those are our predictions. Again, if you're a better, you know, you'd like to get a little wager going on the weekends, you like to pick some teams, um, follow our advice. We get shit right. So there you go. Um, Chris, that's all we got, or that's all I got this week. You got anything else before we get out of here? No, but, you know, tweet at us if you have any games you're wanting to pick on too. Um, and we'll get Scar in the mix. Scar's a good gambler. He's one of our boys. He's kind of a gambling expert, so... 
uh, yeah, no, feel free to tweet at us and we can talk gambling uh, morning of or Friday or whatever. And uh, we'll be happy to engage on that. All right. Love it. Um, well, as always, gang, just goes to show. Everybody's human. Thanks for listening.